when all the world is quiet Someone came and took her lover's life Spooktacular greetings to everyone out there. Thank you so much for listening to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Now, back in November, I had my good friend, fellow paranormal investigator and author, Lance Anderson on. Now, if you listen to that episode, you'll recall that he shared encounters and things he dealt with while working at Boston's medical examiner's office. Talk about a busy job. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you guys, go check it out now. It's titled Life in the Morgue with Lance Anderson. And again, that's back from November. I had a blast talking with him then, and I'm excited to talk with him now. So let's jump right into it. Lance Anderson, welcome back to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for coming back on. Oh, thank you very much. Great to talk to you. (laughs) Pleasure is all mine, for sure. So, you know, Lance... While working at the Emmy's office in Boston, what was the hardest part of the job? I mean, was it working with difficult people or dealing with death every day or sawing someone's skull off? I mean, what exactly was it for you? All of the above. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, were, they were difficult people to work for. Uh, the bureaucracy made things difficult. Physical aspects of the job were difficult. There was a lot, there's a lot that's very difficult about that job. So the most difficult for me, I guess, is was always dealing with kids' cases, though. Yeah. All the, all the physicalness and the, and the politics aside, the, the worst part of it is, is actually the mental aspect, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that there's certain things that you can't unsee. And we all know we're going to die, every single one of us. There's no cheating the Grim Reaper, no cheating death, but when it comes to just children, just so young and innocent and haven't lived a full life, that, I can't even imagine, that must be so hard. Yeah, the, the kids' cases always always seem to stick out in my head, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. So, what's been new with you, you know, since you've been on, it was last November where our episode was released, you mentioned that your team has been making quite the news in New England lately. I'm kind of intrigued. I want to hear more about that. Let's talk about that. Me and uh, me and a couple of friends of mine that have, you know, we've been part of paranormal groups over, God, probably going over the last 15 years at this point, and we decided to break off and kind of do our own thing because we wanted to start running some public events and doing public ghost hunts and that sort of thing. You know, so we, we were up and running. And there was this, in Epping, New Hampshire, there's a town hall was having one of their selectmen meetings on community television. And in the middle of the selectmen's meeting, uh, one of the papers on on the table just decided to flip itself over. (laughs) That kind of sparked this vague, oh, the town hall's haunted type of thing. So local press kind of jumped on it, and they were interviewing people, and there was one selectman they were interviewing. And, and he was the police chief in that town for 33 years. And he was like, oh, yeah, he says, you know, it's just all this crazy haunted. And, you know, so we saw this we saw this interview and stuff because we're always trying to follow paranormal news. And <laughs> it's like, you know, what? We, we're going to reach out to him and see if we can get in there to do an investigation. And surprisingly enough, he was quite receptive to it. And he was like, yeah. He says, you know, let me just get approval from the rest of the other selectmen and, and you guys can come in. Now, by the time they ran it through their meeting and got us our approval, like a month had passed, and they set the, the the date for the investigation in like another month before that. 
So we got this investigation on the books anyway, and somehow or other the press got a hold of this. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So we had, we had the Channel 7 News out of Boston, which is you know, a pretty, pretty major station, yeah. and Channel 9 in New Hampshire, which is also a very major station. So they were like, well, you know, we want to kind of be a part of this. We want to do a story on this. And it's like, well, okay. And they're like, well, what do you, what do you guys want to do? I mean, they're like, well, we want to come on the investigation with you. So Channel 7, the Channel 7 Boston News was doing a live broadcast from our ghost hunt <laughs> while we were ghost hunting. Wow. <laughs> it was like, I was like the coolest thing. And Channel 9 had a cameraman just kind of following us around all night as we were investigating. And, you know, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot happening as being a paranormal investigator yourself. You know, that things just don't happen when you want them to or on cue. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they they, fo- <laughs> they followed us around for a little bit. Uh, God, they were there, they were probably there two or three hours, and there really wasn't a whole lot happening. Now, I have my SLS camera, and I had walked through that entire building. The, the building is pretty large and has a clock tower in the whole bit. And I, I walked around, like, the entire building from the basement all the way up to the top of the clock tower with the SLS camera twice, one with each cameraman following me. And got absolutely nothing on it. So yeah. every, you know everything. Everything was seemingly pretty flat. So you know that's all well and good. Whatever we were doing some EVP sessions and, and getting a little bit of EMF here and there. Yeah. And you know the news crews finished up, and right as they were getting ready to leave, we're down in our little command center there in the hallway where we had everything set up, and I was just standing there with the SLS camera, and there was a chair in front of the, our equipment table where all the equipment was laid out and a stick figure popped on there <laughs> uh, on the SLS camera and it was sitting there. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, huh, th- that, that's pretty weird. So I try to start interacting with it a little bit. I'm like, can you, you know, you know, do the standard, can you, you know, can you wave at me? And it, and it kind of, it made an, a half-hearted attempt at a wave, I guess I'll call it. And then it be kind of became a jumbled mess of sticks and I was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's not anything. And uh, one of my other teammates, Mary, come over and she goes, I think that's two of them. Oh, wow. And I'm like, she says, you think it's two? And she says, yeah, I think there's two of them on that same chair. So she went and put another chair next to that one. So it's like, oh, now you, you guys each have your own chair. If you want to each have your own chair, one of you can move to the other chair. And it was two of them on the chair, and... And one of them popped over to the other chair. So mm-hmm. now we're sitting there with two of these on the SLS camera, one in each chair. Incredible. Wow. It, it, was, it was actually incredible. So, you know, we're trying to get the interaction. We're trying to get them to wave. And, and they're just kind of, they're not really they're interacting with us very much. Mary's like, hey, I'm just going to hold out my hand. She says, why don't, why, you know, why don't you guys come over and, and, you know, touch my hand and say hi. And so she's doing a little coaxing. And one of them gets up off the chair and starts walking over towards us. Oh. <laughs> and and kind, of sticks, kind of sticks his arm out and then, you know, kind of popped right back into the chair. So it was like, <laughs> it's really cool. So That is way know, cool, Lance. That's awesome. I know this is, this is, this is, is going to be a long story, but we have like a 15-minute interaction with these two things in this chair. So now they're both sitting in the chair. We're still trying to get them to wave. Mary's trying to get them to dance and... And, you know, with, with throwing questions at him and, and asking him to do things. And 
they're not being like overly cooperative. Yeah. So then the, my other teammate, Mike, he put another chair and he's like, Mary, why don't you go sit down with them? Because Mary's, Mary's a little bit of an older woman, kind of, kind of grandmotherly, very yeah. nice lady. So I was like, oh, we'll put a chair over there because they, they were small stick figures. They were like kids. Okay. Stick figures. So we set up a third chair over there and Mary goes to sit down and she goes, so hi. And then you, you can hear it on our digital recorders and you can hear it on the on the video camera she gets a high back it goes hi oh that is so precious i love it and, and, that's it, great it's the crazy it's the craziest thing it's like a 15 minute video it's on our facebook on paranormal odyssey investigations llc facebook the video is up there well you guys uh, so listeners check that out check check that yeah. out for sure i that's amazing that's awesome lance yes yeah, <laughs> the links, the links to all the news stories are on our Facebook too. We had nice. uh, the the press didn't stop there, so we had the Channel Nine, we had Channel Seven out of Boston news, we had Seacoast Online did an article, Boston dot com did an article, wow. the Union Leader in New Hampshire did an article. That's awesome, uh, Lance! Congratulations, that's exciting, yeah. and that that's yeah. great. You guys deserve it. That's that's phenomenal. So good job. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> and, and before, before all the virus stuff happened, we oh. had a, a reporter out of New York, and he said he was an AT reporter. He wanted to come up and do an interview, but uh, the virus stuff happened, so we don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the virus. Yeah, it's all going to pass. I with my job, I constantly have hand sanitizer on hand, like. It's just normally I've always had it for years. I always use it. It's so normal and natural to me. And I'm like, wow, it's like liquid gold right now. You can't even find it. It's like I can't wait till I could go in the store and actually go, okay, here it is again, you know? Yeah. It's it's crazy. So hopefully all my people out there listening and their families are staying safe and just know this will all pass so lance you know back in november when you were on i had yet to read your book life in the morgue and man i just need to brag a second you guys about my friend what a great book i mean it's such a phenomenal great read i really really enjoyed it so now that i've read it (laughs) and have you on I want you to share some more bizarre moments and cases. There was one that I read about in your book that had to do with the mysterious, quite smelly bag. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. That was quite a day. (laughs) (laughs) You you want want the whole, you want me to give them the story? Yeah, let's do the stinky scoop. So it was a quiet summer day in Massachusetts. <laughs> we're, we're starting our shift, and this was another one where where media was calling the office, and there was all kinds of stuff going on, and this was going to be a big thing. They thought they had this huge case. They had a, an industrial-sized trash bag that was tied to a tree. They thought there were body parts of it. So media was all over this, this, this little town in, in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts, you know, it was very rural, a lot of woods. They're, they're in a big uproar. They got state police command units. Uh, they got all kinds of stuff going on down there. Detectives all over the place. The local police force, everyone. So the whole time was kind of, you know, blocked a- access until they could figure out what was going on. Yeah. So I got sent down. I had a girl partner with me, and we got sent down to, to go pick up this case and, and bring it back to the office. And they were... 
like, you know, don't open it till you get to the office. The doctor wants to see it just the way it is. So <laughs> we go we go down there, lights and siren, drive into this, this big scene. We get through the cop roadblock, and just as we're getting through the roadblock, you got uh, one of those Apache helicopters flying overhead with a thermal camera. They're scouring the woods for more parks and everything else, and we're driving. And we get down to the trail, because the, the, the bag was tied to a tree about a mile into the woods, so we get to this trail. And you could already you could already smell it. Oh. It, 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 I mean, that's how bad the odor was. You could oh already smell it. Wow. So I, I looked at the detective, and I'm like, you guys sure this is a body? And he goes, well, we don't know what it is because we don't want to open the bag. We were told not to open the bag. And I'm just, and, and I'm like, I, I don't think this is a body. This does not smell like a body. Hmm. And he's like, well, and he's like, well, it's not an animal. He says, I've smelled plenty of dead animals. It's not an animal. I'm like, well, I says, okay, it might not be an animal, but it's not a body. We grabbed this sled uh, that we dragged through, that, that we dragged down rough trails and stuff because the stretches won't go. So a couple of body bags because we were going to double bag it just because the smell was so bad. We go hiking down the trail with this one detective, and he stopped, oh, probably 500 yards away. And he's like, this is as far as I'm going. He says, you'll, you'll, you'll see it up against the tree. So <laughs> we dragged the sled over there. We got the body bags. And I, I can't even stress how bad the smell was at this point now that we were close to it. But we kind of have to pick it up and, and bag it and bring it back to the office. And I, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a, a good uh, way to describe the size of it. It was kind of like a tall laundry hamper or maybe like a, a kitchen trash can, but it was fairly wide. And it was, in fact, in, in this industrial trash bag, and there was a rope around it, and it was tied to a tree. It looks, some, so someone obviously left it there and tied it to a tree. Weird. Yeah, so, and this is about a mile into the woods. Jeez. So we're, we're standing there, and it's like, we really wanted to get this over with because this was really bad. And we're trying to, so I, I said to my female partner, it's like, look, I said, get the bag all ready. I'll, I'll just lift it up enough where you can tuck the bag underneath it. We'll drop it in, zip the bag up, and then we'll throw another bag over the top of it. So, so that's what we did. Now, the tree was only, you know, four to six inches around. So I got behind. I got behind the tree, and I got behind behind the bag, and I kind of just bear hugged it a little bit with the tree between me, and got it up just enough. She got it in the bag. We double bagged it, dragged it all the way back out, and it's just like the, the smell was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and the the truck we had an ambulance. It's like a box ambulance type truck that we're hauling this back in. So there's a there's a little doorway I guess between the back and and the where the driver sit and where we were sitting. So the odor is coming through the truck. It's permeating the whole truck. It was about a good forty five minutes to an hour ride back to the office. Oh god, that's horrible. Uh, oh my god, it was it was it was terrible. So we get back to the office finally. We get the. We go get Tyvek suits on and everything else because no one wants to handle this. So we go in, get Tyvek suits, drag this body in. Got a couple of detectives in there, state police, uh, waiting to take their photographs and we're waiting for the doctor to come down. <laughs> we got the bag all set up, got his station all set up so he can do his thing. You know, the, the two detectives there with their cameras, they're, they're starting to take pictures of the bag and, and the rope and all, they're doing all, you know, their crime scene stuff. <laughs> the doctor finally comes down 
and he starts cutting the bag open, and this is this big tense moment of tea in the bag. So he starts cutting the bag open with the scalpel, and, he, and he's just peeling it back, peeling it back, peeling it back, and it was, all it exposed was another trash bag. <laughs> it was double bag. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. That was kind of funny. But then when he cut that second, when he cut that first bag open, the, the smell like intensified. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> oh, it was, just, it was just getting worse and worse by the minute. So finally, now the detectives all come over. They're taking their pictures again. They're taking pictures of this double bag and the cut the doctor just made. He finally cuts open the other bag. And <laughs> it turned out to be some kind of giant fish head. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading your book, and I was just like, oh my god, what is it? What is it? And then I was like, a fish head? <laughs> That's crazy. It's like, what would somebody do that for? Like, that's just... That's crazy. I wonder if they were, like, later on watching the news going, holy shit, that was my fish head. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure someone saw it, and probably someone from that town. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if they ever caught the culprit that tied it to a tree out oh, in the middle of the woods. But, my God, that's crazy. Uh, it was it was, it was awful. It was oh, awful. geez. And so it must have been quite a fish head, right? Like a huge fish head. It was, it was absolutely huge. I, have, I don't even know what kind of fish it was. That it is weighed, incredible. It weighed almost 80 pounds. That, Wow. That is wild, oh. yeah. I'm sure that smell stayed in your nostrils for quite some time. Oh, it was it was, it was brutal. The truck had to be pressure washed. Oh, no one took that. No one took that truck out for like four days. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's when you give the rookie the truck. Go, okay, here you go. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. What's that smell? Oh, it's just death. Nothing. You know, you'll get used to it. It's like I don't yeah, think so. <laughs> That was the great fish head caper. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, yes. Too funny. And also in the book, Lance, you talked a bit about your first homicide case that you ever worked on. Can we hear a little bit about that? Be happy to tell you about that one too. So, <laughs> being being a newer technician, you, you don't really get the homicide cases or or anything that you know because everything's got to have all your T's crossed and I's dotted when you're doing a homicide case. So new people don't usually get it, but this particular doctor liked me. Yeah, I forget, I forget how long I, I forget how long I was actually working there, but I was I was still in the midst of my autopsy room training. You know, this doctor asked for me in particular, and my supervisor was like, "Well, no, he's kind of new. We don't want him working on a homicide yet." And and so after a bunch of bickering, it's like the doctor finally wins because the doctor always wins. So I got to go work with this doctor and. She sent in a senior technician to help me out with it, too, hmm. which was good. Yeah. Um, the case was a suspected drug dealer that had a drug deal go bad, and he, he was shot a couple of times and dumped into the river. When they found the body, he had been in the river for several days, so he was pretty bloated and not really in advanced state of decomposition, but he was definitely starting to decompose, and he was, and he, like I said, very bloated and discolored and everything else. <laughs> yeah, yikes! Oh, do you want? I'm gonna. I'm even gonna throw the Doctor Zane stuff in here. <laughs> <laughs> now it's decomposed. Now this is a smell I've never experienced in my life of a decomposing body. This was the first decomposed case, as well as my first homicide. So 
A decomposing body does not smell too pleasant either. So I'm in there with the senior technician and we're getting set up. And I had asked him, I said, you know, I said, did you get one like Vicks or something that you put on your lips to, to cut down the smell? And and the doctor said to me, he says, he says, no, he says, you never want to use that. He says, it just opens up your nasal passages. It makes it worse. Oh. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, no, no Vicks, no Vicks maple rub on my, on my lip then. So <laughs> the detectives come in. Now we get the case all set up. Uh, the detectives come in. And at this point, I'm probably starting to turn a little green myself because of the smell. <laughs> and, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little anxious and nervous about this now because I, I know once they they open the body up, it's going to be worse. And like I said, it's just not a very pleasant smell. So yeah, uh, I'm kind of nervous about this. And now this particular doctor, doctor, like I said, he happened to like me. So he's looking at me and he's trying to give me a little pep talk and he's, you know, he's like, you know, just try and think of something else and think of more pleasant things and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and he's trying to distract me now. He goes, this, this supposed drug dealer was from New Hampshire. He's, you're from New Hampshire, aren't you, Lance? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and he goes, well, this guy was from New Hampshire. He says, you're from New Hampshire, aren't you, Lance? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, he says, well, did you know him? And I'm like, yeah, doctor, we all met from the I'm from New Hampshire cookout <laughs> last weekend. And he kind of, I think he kind of gave me a look because that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the detectives come in now. The detectives finally come in and they're going to take their photographs. And one of them guys, I don't know if he was, I don't know what his deal was, if he was new or what, but he wasn't uh, too fond of the smell that was going on there either. And he started complaining about the smell and he was asking the doctor if there's anything to do about the smell so the doctor reached in his little drawer pulled out a big tub of Vicks vapor rub and said yeah put plenty of this on your lips oh no that is hilarious oh no I bet he didn't complain again so so now I'm kind of chuckling a little bit under my mask but yeah that was uh that is funny oh my god so we did have an autopsy I did my first, that was my first homicide autopsy. Lots of measurements, lots of bullet probes, and they did determine which shot had killed them, and... Wow. I think there were actually arrests made in that case after, too, so... Oh, wow. It was the first of many, yes. There were a lot of homicides in Massachusetts in general. Yeah, yep. So, Lance, are there any other cases in the book, or not in the book, that you would like to talk about before we hop to the next subject? Oh, you want humorous stories? Oh, there's, there's one that's not, it's almost almost virus related. I was thinking about this one with all, all the virus stuff going on. And I'm not sure if I told you about this, this story last time we talked, but it was around Halloween time. And we, we got sent to this one particular neighborhood and, and they were all decked out for Halloween. The entire cul-de-sac was, had all these decorations and stuff up and everything was looking like really Halloween-y. It was nice. Really, really like high end decorations, and and the case was down the end of the cul-de-sac. They had found a man that was shot on his couch, and the wife had hung herself in the tree in the front yard. Jeez! Because the way the neighborhood was, everyone thought it was a decoration. They didn't know it was a real body. She was up there for like three or four days before people realized it was a real body. That's crazy. So we, You'd think it would have started to decay and start to smell by then. 
I think that I think that's why they finally figured out it was a real body. I think it was probably starting to starting to turn a little bit and decompose. Ripen, yeah. Give off a little bit of an odor. But uh, we we did the two we did the two cases. I kind of alluded to this in the book a little bit too. They did the two cases and they found like this white powder. And they didn't know what the heck it was in in both of the lungs. Hmm. Turned out that the well the, the determination was that the wife had shot the husband and then went and committed suicide. So it was a murder-suicide thing. But they both had this white powdery stuff in their lungs, which was very odd. Yeah. I, I know they sent it out to get tested, but I don't think any results ever came back on it. Really? Oh, wow. On, on what it was. So, yeah, it was... I mean, we could test We could test for, test for uh, certain drugs in the office, and it didn't test positive for any of them. That's wild. So no idea what it was, yeah. Wow. Mysterious. Jeez, that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, talk about like, okay, what the hell happened here? You know, what we know murder suicide, but what's with the white stuff in the lungs? It's like that's crazy. Yeah. So that, wow. was, that was a little weird. Yeah. So I'm sure there've been times when a body came in through those morgue doors and with the look it's like, okay, we know this is the cause of death and what have you. But might have been proven wrong looking deeper into the case. Can you give an example if that ever happened? I can actually give you two examples, one that goes in both directions. <laughs> the first one will be a short one. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working a, I don't, I don't remember if it was a second shift or, or, or an overnight shift, and we had a case come in. It was just a man that was found unresponsive on his couch, and there was really no reason that he should have passed away basically which is why he was a medical examiner case and we had a um, delivery service for a funeral home bringing the body in so he brought the body in and I'm starting to do the processing and part of the processing is you, you, you remove all the clothing and log everything and bag all the clothing and stuff and as I was taking the shirt off I, I felt the back of his skull was cracked he had a, a major crack on the back of his skull Jeez. That, you, that you could feel with your hand so I went to my supervisor and I said, you know, something's not right with this. I said, they said, they said this was, you know, just the guy found unresponsive. I said, but his, he's got a cracked skull. So it looks like head trauma. Yeah. So it, it opened up this whole, uh, you know, we had to stop everything because now this has become a suspicious death case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, right. you know, the, the, the guy got full body x-rays and everything else. And then we had detectives coming in and then. They're interviewing people and everything else, and after about three or four days, it had come to light that the case was solved. The uh, funeral home that went to pick the body up just kind of set their body bag up on the floor and pulled him off the couch, so when he hit the floor, they cracked his skull. Oh, so no yeah, way. There was some, obviously, there was some disciplinary action for said funeral home. Yeah? Wow. So, but yeah, so that was the the case that shouldn't have been a homicide that <laughs> turned into a homicide investigation. That is wild. Yeah, and that must have been a pretty hard fall for it to crack the skull. Like, that must have been a serious, serious fall. Yeah, off the couch. Geez. And then the other one, the other one that goes in the other direction was we got called to a house fire. There was a, a man and a woman in a house fire. They were in their bedroom. This one's in the book, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, they were in their bedroom, and there was five dogs in the house, and there was this house fire overnight, and uh, fire department had called the case in. They had two bodies in the house, so we went to get the, the bodies, and, you know, the general assumption is smoke inhalation, or they died from the fire. The bodies weren't, you know, burned up too bad. Actually, the bodies weren't really burned up that bad at all. It was maybe some minor burns. Hmm. But, you know, so they get treated as, as house fire victims, and there's certain protocols and stuff for all that, obviously very different from a homicide investigation. Right. But uh, one, of the, one of the doctors had noticed the woman had ligature marks around her neck, very small, fine line around her neck. And Ooh. So he's trying, to, he's trying to match it up with, like, you know, a shoelace and, and some other things. And he's like, I, he's really thinking, you know, I think this is, this is some kind of strangulation. Wow. And he's, you know, he checks for the signs. He had fatigue, she had fatigue in her eyes and, and uh, all, all the signs of strangulation. So, you know, your, your typical house fire victim turned into a homicide. I guess I can skip all the details of the story, but the, the story ends up as... Uh, one of the local cops from that town had said that, you know, they got called to that couple's house all the time for domestic. Oh, no. Domestic violence issues. And, but it wasn't the guy beating on the woman. It was the woman beating on the guy. As it turns out, the assumption on this case was, or the conclusion on this case was, you know, that he had strangled her. And they, they found, they found the, uh, I forget what it was, a piece of clothesline. They found a piece of clothesline about three foot long in the bedroom that wasn't burned up. And that matched up perfectly with what was around the woman's neck. And then the guy had taken a bunch of pills and, and drank some whiskey. So it was a kind of another murder-suicide thing. Wow, yeah, it seems like he was the victim getting beat on all the time by her. And, like, you know, sometimes it's like, enough's enough. And... Wow, that's so unfortunate. And you, the dogs, just little victims themselves in this. Yeah, the whole dogs, the whole little sub story of that story. <laughs> yeah. That was a rough one. That's one I'll not forget either, just because of the dogs. Right. Yeah, I remember reading that in the book how you each had to get a doggy, you know, a body bag and bring the dogs out. And yeah, that's something I would never forget myself. So. Lance, you know, as a fellow paranormal investigator, you know that EVPs are gold. I mean, you mentioned them earlier, that good old electronic voice phenomena. I can't tell you just how many investigations I've conducted throughout the years and the countless EVPs I've collected, but each one I receive with excitement and happiness, and each is so special and unique. Talk, if you will, about some of your favorite EVPs that you've gathered. I have I have one that really stands out in my mind. Uh, I wish I could claim this as my own, but I, I can only claim that I was there and I was with the other investigator and it was on his recorder. It was an old mill building in New Hampshire and we were in the basement. We had a medium with us who earlier in the night was talking about a little girl that was running around the mill looking for her grandma. Now, the other group was upstairs with the medium and we were downstairs and... He's, uh, we, he, the other investigator was, you know, just throwing out questions and he says, we'd kind of like to know you're here. I, I call this like a class A++ EVP. You hear a little girl just calling for her mommy. It goes, mommy? In a little girl's voice. In the yeah. basement of this mill building. And it just, 
I get chills, and I just got chills again just even thinking about it. That is that is the best EVP I've ever I've ever heard. Right. On that mommy one. Aww. But now, but now on my stick figure video, when Mary went and sat down and says, "So hi," and she gets the high back. Right. It is so loud and clear. Yeah, EVPs are so incredibly special, and I've you know getting gotten so many from men, women, children even little babies like baby sounds and they're so precious to me you know they're they're a wonderful form of evidence you know when it comes to the spiritual world for sure certainly yeah sometimes it makes me feel a little bad it's like you know you, you want to be able to do a little bit more to help them move on or get them on their way or at least make sure they're happy where they're at <laughs> right no absolutely i agree there with you well it's nice to know that we're able to communicate with them, you know, and yeah. yeah, and sometimes you are able to pass on messages to their loved ones, you know, in rare cases, and yeah. Well, Lance, a huge thank you for taking time out of your day and being on. It's always such a pleasure talking with you, and thanks for a look through the morgue doors, as most of us don't get to see that while alive, anyways. Yes. Well, that's kind of the whole purpose of the book. The look behind the curtain. Absolutely. So before we end this, tell people how they could find that amazing book of yours. That book is available everywhere online. Uh, Amazon, Amazon Kindle. There's actually been an audio version that was uh, done as well on Amazon. So Amazon Audible, Amazon Kindle, Amazon in general for the paperback, Outskirts Press. Uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere online. You can order it anywhere online that fine books are sold. (laughs) Is Life in the Morgue. Life in the Morgue, you guys. From Lance Anderson, check it out as it is a wonderful read. So thank you once again. Oh, thank you. Always always a pleasure talking to you, as I said in the beginning. (laughs) Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others, you guys. They are all fantastic. Haven't heard every episode yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen now. Just go to any podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Savin, which is a new one. Just popped up on my thing. Probably saying it wrong. Overcast, Google Podcasts. Castbox, Spotify, basically, you guys, wherever you go to listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you can find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. This week's special city shoutouts goes out to Ocean Park, Washington, Grand Rapids, Michigan, McHenry, Illinois, Shoreline, Washington, and Palatka, Florida. Thank you. So much for listening, everybody. You all rock and stay safe out there. See you next week. I would also like to say that I really do hope everyone is staying safe out there with the coronavirus. It is scary and just know this will pass and I hope you all stay nice and healthy. And for those who are dealing with the sickness or who have lost somebody to the sickness, my condolences. Thanks for tuning in. And again, stay safe.